Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Well, make it so, number one. What? These aren't the droids we're looking for. In an insane world, it was the sanest choice. Silencio Bruno. That's my axe. Hey, fellas. Either one of you know where the Smithsonian is? I'm here to pick up a fossil. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Geeks out on Joy 94.9. You're going to need a bigger boat. Our guest tonight is indie, is an indie film source to be reckoned with. She's the director of Night's End, slated for release on Shutter on the 31st of this month. Jennifer Reader, welcome to Geeks Out. Uh, thanks, Miranda. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, so there's a slew of independent films which have been rolling out over the last couple of years, which have found creative ways to work around the pandemic. And here we have Night's End and the, the majority of the cast interact through video conferencing. Is Was it the same sort of process behind the camera? Well, you know, when Brett Nevue, who wrote the script first, sent it to me, there was this idea that we had like, wow, we can really shoot this project, you know, on our phones with our friends just over a couple of weekends, you know, or we could, we can, you know, shoot it with webcams and everybody in their own, in their own location, et cetera. Um, and this was, we were talking about this kind of prior even to the film host coming out, the 2020 host, you know, which is also kind of a video conferencing that, that really did that. They were all quite remote. But, you know, as it got, as it sort of got closer to being made, um, you know, I mean, I am not somebody who has any interest in kind of directing people over Zoom. And, um, you know, my cinematographer, Chris Rohano, who I've worked with over several films, has such a beautiful cinematic eye. You know, I said, I think we need to shoot this properly. We'll shoot it like a real film. And then we will um, kind of like screen life it in post-production. So uh, that's what we did. Now, now having said that, we also brought in all of the actors only one at a time. So none of those actors, all of those actors were, were acting against the script supervisor. Basically, no one was, no one had a, had a proper um, screen, you know, partner, acting partner, except for Mike Shannon and Kate Arrington, who are obviously like in the frame together. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, but we have, we shot it like a, like a regular film, um, and then put it together, you know, it like a, like a screen film, like a, a screen light film. I mentioned it would have been very difficult to have gotten everyone in on the one conference call and to direct them all at the same time. That sounds incredibly difficult. But, uh, you know, fortunately the film does have, uh, Gino Walker, who plays the character Ken Barber. He is the vehicle which we, tell the story through. He carries the film. I thought his strongest performances in this were when he was alone, grueling through this self-imposed isolation. It's a really brilliant concept to have a man trapped in a haunted apartment by his own agoraphobia. How do you, what was your approach to conveying that on the screen? Um, yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, and again, that's also one of the reasons that I, that I was drawn to this, um, to this script. You know, I mean, I, I feel, I mean, it's, you know, it's not, it's not unknown to myself even that I, I feel like people know me for the films that I've made that are about the, 
you know, experiences of, um, of girls and women. And mm-hmm. so I had been looking for a script that featured a male, an adult male lead, uh, one in which I could, um, you know, think of it as a character study, really look at this uh, man and, and try to think about, um, how he was or was not influenced by the, the, the more destructive aspects of, um, of, you know, masculinity and it's, it's kind of construction and, and how it, how it plays out, especially in, you know, American culture. And even more so than that, something like, um, black masculinity, you know, and what that, what that would look like if you, if that, if that particular person, you know, was actually quite vulnerable and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, um, you know, I wanted to be able to look at the Ken Barber character with, um, a kind of tenderness, which I just think in real life and in cinema, you know, it just feels like there are, there, are, you know, we don't see enough vulnerable men, in my opinion, or exposed men. It's, it, or, and, and men who, if, if they are on the, the verge of an unravel, the unravel is thought to be violence, you know, that Mm. they're kind of on the edge of some kind of something violent rather than, you know, they're on the edge of, of something that, you know, looks, looks more like, um, you know, a a kind of emotional breakdown that leads to just crying in the shower every day, every day. And there's a scene of him crying in the crying in the shower. So I, so I worked, you know, when we cast Gino and I really set out to look for someone who also like physically was monumental and, you know, and Gino is like six foot three. He he, he literally like takes up the door frame, you know, he's got this beautiful dark complexion. Um, but in his real life, he's, you know, he's this very soft-spoken, thoughtful guy who is, you know, a dedicated actor and, you know, actually in his own life has a lot of plants, you know, I mean, so, so he kind of came to me, you know, he was a kind of a ready-made Ken Barber on the one hand, although I think that I, I'm not sure that I know, well, Ken, you know, Gino's own apartment is, is not, is not haunted. I suppose that's the, you know, that's the difference. Um, but yeah, I really wanted to be able to do, uh, you know, I mean, I, I like thinking of Night's End not as a certainly not as a COVID a COVID project. Yes, an isolation project or an isolation film, um, a chamber piece, a character study, even. Um, then, then it becomes, you know, then there's room for it to be. Um, a, a, I wouldn't say exactly horror comedy. I mean, I think that 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 makes the comedy sa- the comedy of it seem much more substantial. I think there's some really great moments of levity um in the in the film which is also what I liked about um about Brett's script. So, you know, at the end of the day I wanted to at the end of the night, at the end of night's end nights, <laughs> I wanted I wanted to um you know, I want to deliver to an to an audience something that feels like a you know, a kind of a thrilling genre piece with some good jump scares and hopefully a, a surprising um, ending, uh, but that might also open up a conversation conversations around, um, you know, men- masculinity and mental health even. I mean, it's um, as someone who has dealt with her own agoraphobia, um, I've actually spoken to my listeners before. I spent four years trapped inside my home with, my own anxiety. I really felt for Ken on the screen and there was such a beautiful visual and audio 
tension that came, you know, it was an echo chamber of his own anxieties mm-hmm. off of, off of the wall. I know technically and visually, how do you, you know, how did you ramp something like that up? Well, I knew that, you know, I knew that I wanted to make that apartment, um, his safe, his safe zone. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Ken is particular, but he's not, um, well, yeah, Ken is particular, uh, and in, in terms of, you know, there's certain, you know, we, we see him, he has a very specific kind of daily routine. You know, there are things in his pantry that are very specifically kind of laid out, et cetera. But, um, I wanted that apartment to, to really feel like, um, the apartment itself, the kind of interior of the apartment is on some level, a metaphor for kind of Ken's own interior. You know, it's like a, mm-hmm. we're really going deep inside of, of, of his life. And he feels, he feels quite safe in there. And so, um, you know, even though we, we also shot some of the framing in a very kind of claustrophobic way where the framing was quite tight, we also made a, made a decision to, to, to frame it, um, in, in a more voyeuristic way. So the audience also feels like they are kind of, um, peeking around the doorway, you know, to watch, Ken on his inversion table or to watch Ken watering his orchids or something like this. And, um, like I said, I always wanted to bring, um, not just sympathy, but perhaps even empathy to, um, to Ken. And, and we, we very purposely lit him with, um, you know, these, these very soft pastels, kind of soft pinks and soft blues and soft greens to, to, to give him, um, something that felt like, um, not, not just vulnerability, but a, but a, a tenderness and, and an inward and an inward, inwardness. Um, because there, there is, a, there is something about, um, you know, isolation or, or that can be, there's, there's good, there's good and bad that can come from alone time, so to say. And, mm. um, so, 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 so yeah, so I wanted the, the interior space to, to feel, to, to feel very curated, both in terms of how Ken curated it, but then curated in terms of what we as the camera or what the camera is looking at. And then in terms of the score and the sound design, you know, I worked very closely with the sound designer and the composer, um, to, yeah, to create this, you know, to create sometimes like more space or less space or to create like emotional room around, you know, Ken's daily routine, because it was very important to me that when we, at the beginning of the film, when we enter Ken's space, that we would not leave the space until the end. There was that kind of rule that we wouldn't, um, I mean, there's one moment when we watch Ken come out of his, just the very doorway of, a, of his apartment onto the landing. And we are, the camera is situated sort of above him at the second floor landing. And, you know, that, you know, that's, that's on some level, that was like as, as far as we could go outside of his, outside of his world. Cause it just felt very important to stay to, for us as the audience to stay with Ken in, in there. Like we, we as the audience are kind of implicated you know, in, in, in the situation on some yeah. level. I, I definitely felt a lot of empathy for him and it related a lot to my own experience in history. Um, 
Yeah, I felt that was uh, conveyed very well. Uh, fun little fact as well I want to throw in for you. Uh, I didn't used to be a horror buff, but my girlfriend has been easing it into me bit by bit for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. The the way this film plays out actually made her freeze up in her chair for a good portion. It's, wow. It's such an incredible thing to see this, this hardened woman who has been <laughs> watching horror since she was seven years old. <laughs> finally finally we come across a film that has actually made her um freeze up in tents and just go wah and is searching for faces in the wall oh that's so good to know because you know i have to say this is you know some of the moves i've made in this film are a departure i mean i've never built a monster i've never you know i I really i have kind of you know, small moments of startle in my films, but I've never set out to, to do, to do kind of proper jump scares. Um, so yeah, the, I wanted, I wanted the, the kind of super horror fans to, to, to be into this and not feel, and not feel disappointed because it's also a kind of a character study in the chamber piece. And there are very quiet moments in this film. It's not this, it's not, I mean, on eventually it becomes a kind of a juggernaut. But it's just, it sort of like takes a while to, to get there. So I'm, I'm very happy that she was properly freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, as you said before, um, you said that there are moments of levity here. I think perhaps what stands out for me is Lawrence Grimm playing mm-hmm. the mystic Colin Albertson. My partner and I, mm-hmm. when we were watching this, we, we thought of him as sort of Vincent Price meets Doctor Strange. Um, yeah. how did, you know, how did you decide to play out this character? Yeah, I mean, that's, ex- that's exactly right. I mean, we had, we had, we had Larry watch, you know, some, you know, some vintage, um, you know, Vincent Price and, and also, um, Alistair Crawley, some, mm. some, you know, some sort of older, you know, f- footage of him. I mean, there's just, there is kind of like th- through, through time. And it seems like I'm not sure if there's, a, there's got to be a, a certainly, you know, contemporary kind of, um, paranormal experts who are, who are, um, kind of just as, as melodramatic. But, you know, I mean, that aspect of, of the Colin Albertson's character, I mean, there is, there's some campiness, um, to his character, which I actually appreciate. I mean, the sort of back, his, his kind of video conferencing background is so dramatic with like every <laughs> candle lit and it's, you know, this kind of vibrant sort of violet and, and, um, yellow and, um, a little bit of Anton LaVey in there as well. Yes. Oh my gosh. One, absolutely. Probably all the time we have for, unfortunately. Uh, Night's End streams on Shut Up March 31st. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, Miranda, thank you so much. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.